Ram Dass once said, if you think you're enlightened, go home for Thanksgiving. Or Christmas or Hanukkah or Easter or any time for that matter, in my opinion. Look, for the lucky among us, the holidays entail drama of the logistical sort. Missed flight connections, suitcases that are just over the weight limit, gifts to be purchased and passed around. But for some of us, the holiday drama is entirely relational, playing out in conversations and in unspoken energy transmitted from one human heart to another. For some of us, the holidays means someone's going home in tears, or someone's going to storm off early, or both, all before the stuffing gets passed. Look, if you're one of those people and that's how it is for you, I see you, right? In our real lives, we are compassionate, warm, generous people, and we do our best to communicate from this place. But man, put us back into the house we grew up in, around the people who raised us, and all hail breaks loose. We become short-tempered, judgmental, defensive, or petty and hypersensitive to every perceived slight. If you're nodding your head listening to this, and if you're listening to a podcast about how to become a better communicator, I'm guessing that you're someone who is in the process of intentionally creating a life that is distinctly different from that of your family of origin. You have a sense of hope about what you can make of your life, or if you're further down the path, you might even feel a lot of pride about the life you've created. But around the holidays, you re-enter the lives you have worked so hard to evolve past. And that evolved self seems to dissolve the moment you walk through that door, giving way to the smaller, meaner, more frightened version of yourself. And when you find yourself engaged and baited into the same toxic communication patterns and responding in the same limiting, infuriating ways you once did, you get just as angry at yourself as you are at your tribe. Why? Because you took the bait. You fell for the shenanigans. But what if this time it's different? What if this holiday season we try something new? Are you down? Of course you're down. Well, listen, this different that I'm talking about begins with one giant step. Step one, let go of any fantasies you have about the holidays with your family of origin. In fact, I say we make December a no expectation zone, no positive or negative expectations. Expectations only cause misery and suffering and are really just a thinly veiled attempt to control an environment that is completely beyond your control. Expectations set your loved ones up for failure before they've even had the chance to show up to the party. You know, we think this time will be different. This time we'll be cozy and cute and we'll eat and we'll drink and be merry and I'll put on my Motown Spotify mix and everything will be good and no one will zap me with their harsh words and judgments. But amen, amen, I say to you, my people, there is no Spotify mix to cure crazy. There is no outfit, no suede boot, no artisanal cocktail, no board game that will cure what ails a family of origin if they're that kind of family of origin. You know what I'm saying? And in fact, I'd like to suggest that your job isn't to cure or rescue or rehabilitate your family or the holidays for that matter. As the wise Elizabeth Gilbert once said, and I'm paraphrasing here, leave them alone. It's a free country they are getting their groove on. Your job is not to fix them or sort them in any way. But what your job could be, your mission, if you choose to accept it, and I'm not saying it's easy, is this. Accept these imperfect people exactly as they are. Make December the month in which you attempt 
to love the family you actually have versus the family you wish you had. If you're wondering, oh my God, how does one accomplish such a thing? First of all, there is no accomplishing happening here. This is about introducing a practice. You'll have good moments that make you proud of yourself and your personal evolution and moments where you feel like a petulant child. It's all good. It's all part of the practice. Okay? No expectations. Got it? Okay. Let's move on to step two. Step two, refinance your agreements, my friend. Listen, when interest rates change favorably for homeowners, they refinance their loans. Why? Because as the dude says in The Big Lebowski, some new shit has come to light, man. Same applies here. If you are realizing and recognizing that your family of origin causes you tremendous emotional and psychological pain, maybe a week spent in close proximity in that ski town no longer works for you. I don't care if it's at the Ritz-Carlton. I don't care if it's a 30-year tradition. I don't care if people will be sad. If you turn into a screeching Nazgul around these people, it's not serving you. If you don't know what a screeching Nazgul is, you should sign up for my show notes because I will link to it. Maybe I'll even have a GIF. It's a Lord of the Rings reference. Anyway, it doesn't serve you. You don't necessarily need to pull the plug entirely. Maybe a week becomes 72 hours or 48 There are lots of good reasons for why you need to leave early. You have a very demanding job. You have guinea pigs who need lettuce, hair masks that need to be applied. Perhaps a sudden onset of diarrhea has felled you. Look, just allow just enough time to practice the yoga of family acceptance and love without experiencing what my former colleague and hilarious friend Gina once called sudden hate syndrome. Or listen, maybe your situation isn't that extreme. In my case these days, my holidays are now spent mostly in ways that bring me joy. And let me just tell you that is by careful design. There are very few toxic dynamics at play in my middle-aged life. But as an introvert slash only child, my holidays can be taxing emotionally, just given the length of time my husband's family's tribe likes to gather My introvert self can really only handle about four hours of conversation and group togetherness, but Sal's family likes to gather for like six or even eight hours, depending on the holiday. So a few years ago, I noticed just how triggering this was for me, especially at Thanksgiving, and how by the end of the night, I was seething. No one had said or done anything to me. It was just that I wanted to go home and I needed to be quiet, and I felt I couldn't do that without hurting someone. So I came up with a solution. Are you ready? For Thanksgiving, I spend the first half of the day with my best friends. And then I arrive at my in-law's house fully charged and ready to rock. And so that is what I do. Thanksgiving morning, I wake up, 6 a.m., head to Sonoma. I'm there by 8. It is almost two hours of silence driving there. I arrive. I have a Bloody Mary or one mimosa. And I spend two to three hours clerping at my Blanche's, my two very best friends who spend every Thanksgiving together with their families. And then I drive to my in-law's house in another two-hour segment of perfect silence. And you know what? I arrive with a big smile on my face and a genuine feeling of delight in spending the next four hours with my people. Listen, refinancing your agreements means you accept full responsibility for your participation in the family reindeer games. It means you can't play victim anymore. 
because you have consciously chosen at what level you will engage and you are there of your own free will. And here's the most important part. Refinancing your agreements around the holidays is a radical act of self-compassion. You refinance and renegotiate because your heart needs you to, full stop. And that is reason enough. Right? Right. Okay. Refinance your agreements. Step three, notice the patterns, make a plan. Here's where it gets interesting, people. Successfully navigating tricky familial waters means getting crystal clear about the patterns of behavior that play out. Usually when we are triggered by a situation, we fail to see just how predictable that situation actually is. We treat each of these infractions, each of these blow-ups as fresh wounds, never before seen footage of sneak attacks. And our psyche coils up like a cobra, ready to inflict maximum damage. But what's actually going on is a well-established pattern of cause and effect, action and reaction. What is actually going on is often so boring and hardly worth the spike in cortisol and elevated heart rate. It's just a pattern. And just to be clear, this entire conversation is about tricky family dynamics. It is not about physical abuse or physical danger of any kind. If you ever feel like your safety is at risk, get help, get safe, okay? Just want to make that clear. Okay. So right now, I want you to choose your most problematic family member or your most tricky dynamic to work with, okay? You got it? Okay, now I want you to brainstorm. Look at that situation or that person and write down what are the patterns? What are the things that tend to trigger your rage or your sadness or your withholding or your passive aggression, whatever it is? What is going on? Brainstorm it, make a list, press pause, or press pause and talk to yourself in the car if that's where you are, whatever, but make your list, okay? And press play again when you have it. Okay, are you done? You back? Good. So listen, when I did this exercise myself recently, I was profoundly relieved and delighted to see that someone who causes me a lot of angst is actually only engaged in a single type of communication narrative. I thought it was like some amorphous, you know, impossible to pin down dynamic. It's totally not. It's one narrative. And you know what that narrative is? Playing the victim. Now, this victim narrative has various flavors and circumstances attached to it. But once I wrote down all the different patterns and brainstormed it and put it on paper of how I get triggered by this person, it was incredible to realize that just one single narrative type has been driving me up the wall. Because you know why? I can't, I cannot stand a victim narrative. It's it makes my skin crawl. And because it makes my skin crawl, it sends me into some incredibly unbecoming communication patterns. Like I become short, contemptuous, or I withdrawal, I become passive. Like all the things that I stand against <laughs> is what I become when I'm in a in a conversation with someone who's playing a victim card. And those are not communications pattern I want to spend even a moment engaging in. Triggers and patterns, by doing that exercise, I identified the triggers and the patterns. And so, because I was able to see those, I came up with a plan. 
And that plan begins by asking yourself this one question. What unmet need is being expressed by this person? In my example, this person's victim narrative was an attempt to receive sympathy. Not empathy, sympathy. That was the unmet need. And when I wrote that down, I was amazed. I thought, oh my God, all this person needs is sympathy. That is, I mean, easy enough, right? They're not even asking for empathy, just sympathy. Instead, I was withholding and punishing them for even needing the sympathy and judging them. And once I accepted this person's need for sympathy and just gave it to them, I found I I wasn't even able to locate my former like rage or sadness or withhold. The emotions weren't even there anymore. Isn't that crazy? So in this case, in my case, my plan was meet the other person's need. But, you know, do it with limits. After all, listen, my sympathy is a finite resource, people. And if I've emptied it out, I'm going to need some time away from this person to refill and recharge, which we'll get to in a moment. So I want you to think about that. Think about what unmet need is being sort of lobbed at you with this triggering behavior, okay? And make a plan to meet the need, right? Okay, now... You may be in the category of person that says, wait a minute, what if I don't want or can't meet that need? I feel you. When my father was in the end stages of his life and I would visit him, I noticed that he was always kind and loving for the first 20 minutes of our time together. But something always happened at minute 20 and he turned critical and sometimes even cruel. And the best way I could figure it was that he had an unmet need, and that was to discharge his sadness, despair, and anger at his current situation onto someone else so that he wasn't the only one holding it. And the problem was I was not in a position to meet that need. Now, if he had said to me, damn it, you know, I'm angry and I hate the situation I'm in. I probably could have uh, stood there and offered heartfelt empathy. I could have raged with him, cried with him. But unfortunately, he aimed the toxicity at me, and I didn't want to be on the receiving end of it. And that is, was, and always will be my right and yours. So my plan was that I would leave him the moment he turned nasty. About minute 21, I would have to walk out the door. I wouldn't do it in a huff. I would just say, gosh, I gotta, I really got to go. I got to pick up the kids. I would invent a reason to leave before he could hurt me any more than he already had. And it was a survival mechanism that served me well. In fact, if you want to go deeper on that, <laughs> that issue of caring for problematic elders, please go back to my episode called The Sandwich Generation. My interview with Peggy Flynn, really, really helpful stuff in that one. But, you know, listen, there are times when the only sane and healthy response to a negative pattern is to remove yourself from it. And that's just how it has to be. But we won't know what that plan should be if we don't do the work of identifying the patterns and making a plan. And that is step three, okay? Now, step four, this is my favorite part. Meet your own needs. Counterintuitively, the best way to survive a complicated holiday ritual is to arrive with a very full cup. And by that, I mean, take 
exquisite care of yourself during the month of December. In fact, hell, do it every month for the rest of your life, but especially during December. And I know taking exquisite care of yourself sounds expensive, but it really doesn't need to be. It means putting your needs at the top of your to-do list. In fact, one way I've started doing this is I've literally reoriented my daily to-do list to reflect a focus on self-care. And I'm going to, in my show notes, I'll have an image of what my planner sheet looks like and sign up for the show notes, people, bronwyncommunications.com. But normally I just write down the date and then I, or I used to write down the date and then just like bullet task my, my items under that. It was just a menacing list of bullets. But now I've got my to-dos in, like I draw a line vertically and a line horizontally. So I've got four quadrants on the page and my to-dos are only one of the four quadrants. My other three quadrants are physical needs, spiritual needs, intellectual needs. And what this does is it helps me prioritize things like exercise, meditation. It lets me carve out time to read the news in a more thoughtful way than just skimming headlines standing in line at the bank, right? Now what I do is I I get the New York Times Sunday edition and I slowly consume it over the course of seven days. And it meets like one or two articles a day meets my brain's need to go deep on an issue or at least understand an issue at a deeper level by holding a physical newspaper in my hands. It makes me so happy. I love it. And by having these four quadrants versus just one long hideous list of bullets, I remind myself that my body, my spirit, and my mind are every bit as important to my productivity as the never-ending list of assignments. In fact, here's an experiment for you to do. During the month of December, do one thing every single day that is pure indulgence. It doesn't have to be major, but it needs to make your heart sing. In fact, for the past several Decembers, I have intentionally booked a massage on the busiest day I can think of, December 23rd. It's the last day before shit gets real and most people are at peak frazzle, but you know what? Not me, my people. You will always find me at Brooke Williams Spa at Santana Row getting a 90-minute rub down. It is my small act of defiance. It is my courageous stand against insanity. And it is by far my boldest move of exquisite self-care of December. And if I'm really feeling sassy, I take myself to a movie. It is heaven. Nobody's there. One day I sat and watched Reese Witherspoon in the movie Wild, and I just cried my eyes out in the privacy of a near empty theater, and it was heaven. So what will your plan be for exquisite self-care in December? Stick to it, whatever it is, because the days of you arriving into your holiday gatherings like a pigeon with chunks of feathers missing, those days, my love, are over. O-V-E-R, people which takes us to step five. You know what step five is? Make like Tommy. If you're going like, where the hell is she going with this? Bear with me. My father died in January of 2018. And in March of 2018, I took my two daughters to see the children's musical theater main stage performance of the Who's Tommy. I was completely in awe of the production and the talent of these teenagers and young people singing legendary songs like Acid Queen and Pinball Wizard, but I was reduced to pure salt water in the final performance of Listening to You. And in case it's been a while or you never actually heard the album Tommy or saw the stage production, Tommy is a rock opera written by Pete Townsend about a little boy who witnesses a murder and is struck mute 
deaf and blind by the trauma of it. And Tommy's destiny unfolds in some really strange ways. He becomes a pinball sensation despite his limitations, as you can imagine. But really, Tommy's story is about trauma. The murder that Tommy witnesses is just the beginning of the injustices this kid suffers at the hands of family and so-called friends. But you know what? Tommy is also a story of redemption and healing as he comes to terms with a lifetime of pain and alienation. And the performance ends with that song, Listening to You. And in that final scene, Tommy stands on the stage belting out the lyrics. And as he's belting out the lyrics, he walks over and embraces his father, his mother, and these people that wronged him. And in that moment, he accepts these people exactly as they are because he suddenly and finally realizes the part that each of them had to play in the story that is his life. And he is grateful. He's grateful for the pain, the confusion, the trauma, because the suffering has led him to illumination and compassion and aliveness. It's so good. It's so good. You know that song, listening to you, I get the music gazing at you. I get the heat following you. I climb the mountain. I get excitement at your feet. I mean, I could I could sing it all damn day. And I sobbed as I watched Tommy because, you know, he has this awakening about the people in his life while his parents are still alive. I cried because I didn't get to experience my dad that way. I cried because I don't know that I'll ever get to experience my dad that way. And I cried because it gave me a goal, a new goal. I want to see my people the way Tommy saw his people as he sang listening to you. I want to see my family as they truly are, human beings doing the best they can with what they know, human beings who are loving me to the best of their capabilities. I want to remember the other famous Ram Das quote. We're all just walking each other home. My friends, may your holidays be opportunities to walk your people home, to walk yourself home. Shine on, you crazy diamonds. I'll see you next time.